Radio. Fellas, it's good to see you. It's me, Gary Grant. Oh, Gary! Oh, oh, hey, how's, oh, hi, how's hi, it? Hi, Gary. How you doing, man? Good, good, good. I, we boys watched a movie last week that I wasn't in. Did you? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we didn't. I, I, I don't know that you're in any movies on the BFI list, Mr. Grant. Seeing as how you're, you're an American chap. Well, you know, I, I sometimes think that I could play British pretty well. You know, I, I, I've got accents that I can speak. That's pretty close to uh, British. I mean, it's just it's mid-Atlantic proper, of course, you see. Yes. But it's the same attitude. Did you have any thoughts on uh, With Noel and I, or...? You know, I auditioned for that movie. Oh. Uh, okay. Wait, was, was With Noel going to be a lot older? <laughs> that was the original plan, yes, okay. of course. Uh, uh, the director, uh, uh, Bruce. Mm. Bruce, you see, Bruce, old Bruce, came to me. And he said, Carrie... I have a role for you. There's a movie called Withnail and I. And I said, Withnail? That's a weird name. And he says, well, we're thinking about changing it to Withnail, but don't worry. He said, we'd like you to play an older sort of main character who's had a lot of drugs and done a lot of bad things in his life. And you have a, you have a, young, a young apprentice in the sort of an I. You really get British there, Cary Grant. Well, you know, I, I, that was what I was going for when I was talking to him. Trying to be more British, and I got into the role. But uh, but then um, production happened sometime in 1987. Right. And, uh, I had uh, unfortunately died by November of 1986, so I was not available to do it. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, it was quite a disappointment to everyone involved, and uh, I felt quite bad. And uh, I proceeded to haunt the set, actually. Uh, and that's why they've all never had any success beyond this film. Should we tell him about Richard E. Grant? No, just let him have it. Yeah, you're right, Carrie. All right, fellas. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that movie, but you really should watch one with me in it. Uh, we'll try. Yes, I, I feel like I must have been in some British movie at some point. Sure. But, uh, I, you know, in, in, in Republican heaven, things get to be a bit of a muddle, and I don't quite remember, so... We don't have IMDb, you see. Mm. Mm. Richard Attenborough wouldn't allow it. <laughs> He's an asshole. Wow, I mean, interesting intro for this episode. Have you ever, have you ever, okay, before I go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hollywood story. <laughs> okay, Cary Grant. Republican heaven. You see, I was up there, and Richard Attenborough came into the club. There's a club up there, it's for white people only, but since there's only white people up there, it doesn't really matter. Oh my God, did Cary Grant just imply that only white people go to heaven? Uh, no, 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 but, but Republican heaven. Uh, okay. The good one. Um, uh. Richard Attenborough came in one night, and he sat down beside Mickey Rooney. And the two of them had the biggest fight I've ever seen. These two little fellows just rolling around on the ground. And then Richard Attenborough stabbed Mickey Rooney. Now, do you know what happens when you get stabbed in Republican heaven? Uh, seven lashes. You die forever. <laughs> what? You're gone. You're dead. Mickey Rooney, his spirit is evaporated. I liked Mickey Rooney. He was a good friend of mine. Anyways, just thought you should know that. So, as a warning to any of your future guests... Don't get stabbed in Republican Don't heaven. Don't get stabbed in Republican heaven. Jetpack, carry Grant away. We learn so much about Repu Republican heaven every week. Every week. Yeah, they like telling us about it. Uh, it, it sounds kind of nonsensical to me. Uh, it sounds like they're just kind of making it up as they go. I think that's how it runs. I think that's how the government there runs it. 
Everywhere has governments, even heaven. Somebody, there has to be a hierarchy, is what I'm saying. Please tune into my PragerU video. Uh, Please don't. <laughs> but Jason, this is a podcast. It is a podcast! Podcast about British film, and this podcast is called For Screen and Country. And I am Brendan. And I am Jason. And I wish you saw what I see, folks, because every week I want to, I want to tell you something right now. When I'm talking on the mic, Jason always looks like he's chomping at the bit. And I, it's just a sight I wish everyone could see. Well, it's just it's my own because um, I'm just waiting to speak. See, I yeah, don't no, care what a, you're saying. I'm just waiting to speak it, my it, words. It seeps into your head and then escapes. That's right. Yeah. It just expectorates out my orifices. This is a podcast about British film, like mm. I said, but more mm. specifically, Jason, what is it about? It is about the films that were placed on the British Film Institute's top 100 British films of all British time as ordained by our Lord and Savior in the year of our Lord, 1999. And crack a beer to that. And we are over 80 movies through this list of 100 British films. And we still have some bangers to go, Brendan. We do. And some long ones to go. <laughs> long ones too, yep. We, uh, we have, uh, we have, at this point, after this film, Jason, yeah. we have 17 movies left to go. That's that's nuts. 17 movies on the list. Wow. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you folks, you're with us. You're going to be with us right to the very end of this thing. That's right. And then you know we're gonna do something else, so don't don't give up hope, even That's though right. we get through this. <laughs> there'll be there'll be more screens and countries to cover. That's right. Uh, ooh, nice uh, nice tease there. Um, but but yeah, we're gonna talk about a movie this week. We're gonna talk about a very interesting gangster uh, thriller type film. Morality play. Morality play. But before we talk about this week's movie, Jason, we need to read some comments. Regarding last week's film, with Noel and I, today, comments, unlike any other day. Yeah, we never do this. We never do this. this first time, special treat for those of you who listen to uh, this, the Unspooled podcast. Uh, we are going to, oh, wait, what? What? Nope. What's that? I'm getting nope. a note from my producer. It's me. Um, <laughs> you, you did. You wrote yourself a note, handed it to yourself. Don't call yourself Unspooled again. Got it. Okay. That's right. Whew. That was a close one. We are going to read some comments, though, Jason. We're going to read some comments from last week's, about last week's movie, not from the movie. No. That would be weird if we just read parts of the script we liked. Richard Grant sent us a bunch of uh, observations about the episode. He did apparently, um, by the way, uh, during the pandemic, he did apparently a tweet a day of just him doing like a random quote from With Nail and I. He um, didn't even have to do that. He could have like trained a bot to do that. Yeah. No, it was just him. It was just a video of him doing that. Oh, I see. It still yeah. could have been a bot. He just wanted to have fun. He's yes. probably bored like we all are. I suppose, yes. But yeah, comments from about With Nell and I as the movie we talked about. Jason, start us off. Who's our first commenter? Our first comment comes from a repeat commenter, Nancy Rat Rat, who writes, in my top five. Who writes, writes. <laughs> who writes, writes. In my top five movies. Some of the homophobia slash sexual assault jokes clearly don't hold up in 2020 or 2021. I don't know when she wrote this comment. Maybe she was just prepared. It was recently. I think, I think you know, so we're not all used to it yet. That's right. Jason, get off her back. But it doesn't entirely ruin the film for me. I know every word and utterly adore it. And I love the desperate balance between the sheer absurdity slash humor slash existential dread slash depression. We want the finest minds available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. That is a great line. Thank there, you, Nancy. There, there is some, there is some stuff that is a has a different skew to it. Watching it with these modern eyes, 
These modern eyes do 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 see with no. These modern eyes see things that maybe weren't problematic before, but they sure are now. But that's, and that's often do, the strength, do, do, do. though, of a movie that it How can. How dare you interrupt me? I will interrupt you at any time, sir. Okay, keep but going. The, I was gonna say the, the strength of uh, you know something that maybe is problematic, but it's like it's so good as a piece of art that it can kind of overcome that. People are willing to forgive it because it is otherwise such a you know well-made piece of whatever. Whether it's a game, whether it's a movie, whether it's a book. Those are the only types of media I'm aware of. Those are the only ones. You don't play video games. Uh, no, no, I only play games that originate uh, in ancient Sumeria. Sure. <laughs> our next commenter is also a re- repeat commenter, uh, our Lord and Savior, Sharon Horwat. The, the reason this podcast still exists, she's funded us uh, thousands upon thousands of dollars just every week just to get her comment on In here. Bitcoin. In Bitcoin mainly. Yeah. So we're, 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 hold, we're hold, holding? Hold, hold, holding out for a hero? Yeah, we're, we're holding out for some Bitcoin. <laughs> Sharon has said, I have not seen the movie for a number of reasons. That's okay. I'm very glad it exists because Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann became established actors because of it. Side tangent, I wish Paul McGann got to do more on-screen Doctor Who stuff because I think he's great. And I cannot wait to see Richard E. Grant in Everybody's Talking About Jamie. My brother. Everybody's talking about my brother. They made about? a movie about everybody talking about my is brother. R- what Richard, did he do? Richard E. Grant is playing him. What do you think oh. about that? I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, I think you might have to put on a couple of pounds. Sorry, Jay. Well, I mean, Bruce Robinson said his name was Fatty Grant. I'm sure it won't be a hard thing, right? <laughs> yeah, really. If he was, uh, and I mean, and Jay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fatter than Jamie, certainly, but, uh, you know, he's a dad now. What's the next comment, Jason? Our next comment, Brendan, is from James C. Cameron Silva. The, I've, I've the nothing. I've nothing son of filmmaker James Cameron and the giant Silva, former professional wrestler. Oh, I was going to say Anderson Silva, the MA, MMA fighter. No, everybody, nobody knows who that is, Jason. Everybody knows who it's giant too, Silva is. So, sorry, sorry, Jims. Giant Silva. Jims. Uh, Jimmy, Jims. Jimmy, Jimmy, old Jimmy. Sorry, Jimmy. We don't mean to make fun. Everybody comes to the greatest show. Come on, the oddities. They were great. Continue. Uh, James writes, it's on my list to see. Oh, he must know Sharon. <laughs> it seems to be a film that is very familiar to my British friends that are vaguely in my Gen X-ish bracket, but I don't uh, think it had any impact here in the States. At least, I'd not heard of it until after I'd lived in the UK. I mean, the only reason I know this movie exists is because in the early 2000s, I was much more of a movie nerd than I am now, and I bought Criterion Discs because I was a pretentious dick. And, of course, with Withnell and I was one of those Criterions that I did not own, but was hoping to, but never did. And now you've seen and you're, you're a better man for it. I am a better man for it. I saw it on the Criterion service, so it was even even better. <laughs> Everything came full circle. That's right. Robert James Cole says, I love it. I actually have my copy signed by Paul McGann. He's such a nice guy, and his eyes lit up when he found out that I recognized him from this movie and not Doctor Who. I swear we talked for 20 minutes about With Null and I. That's interesting. I mean, it is kind of a cult classic, but I, I suppose you wouldn't expect the general population to have any knowledge of this movie. I mean... We're we're kind of we're kind of cool like that. We get it kind of ahead of the crowd, you know. In twenty twenty one, I mean, and we thirty learned, some odd years after it came out, and we've also learned over the over the last uh, few years that fandom can get a bit toxic. So maybe some like someone not asking about uh, Doctor Who, he was like, okay. <laughs> Next comment, Brendan, is from the Sarge, our Sergeant Charger uh, S C Williams Holt. Uh, he writes, he Sarge- confessed it. He admitted it. He admitted it. In the Liberian Army. Such a great film. When you have the likes of Richard E. Grant and Richard Griffiths, who we lost far too soon. Well, I don't know about that. He was pretty old. But yes, I'll agree because I love the guy. I mean, what you're saying basically, Jason, is it was his time to go. Uh, I think what you're saying is that he deserved to die. I think what you just said is you pissed on his grave after Anyways, he passed. 
Richard Griffiths, we miss you. We wish you were still around, but we understand why you're dead. We miss you more than Jason does, apparently. Yeah, well, <laughs> we. Who's the we? The royal we? Everyone else. Poor, poor Sarge. Let's get back to Sarge's comment. <laughs> Sorry. Where we left off. In what's attention! Hut! In what's got to be the best performance of their career, combined with that exceedingly dry British humor. Yes, spelled it with two U's. Good man. Solid. You have dynamite. Add to all of that, some of the most honest portrayals of addiction and excess and an acid-tongued script. It's no wonder it's such a cult classic. When the state of affairs in the world gets you down, especially us city dwellers, just remember, we are indeed drifting into the arena of the unwell, making an enemy of our own future. What we need is harmony, fresh air, stuff like that. Thank you, Sarge. That was fantastic. And that, yes, that, that, is, a good, that is a good bit of life to live by. I think you mean, that was fantastic! Hot! Um, all right, we got another comment here from Ross Waldorf, who I'm assuming is very rich. Or is just a fan of the salad. <laughs> Could be. Um, I love this movie. It rivals The Big Lebowski for the title of cult film with the most quotable lines. That long opening shot of their apartment and the subsequent journey to the kitchen makes the film must-see cinema right off the bat. Fuck it! Um, I have such fond memories of Withnell because I saw it with a friend at the Carnegie Hall Cinema when it was first released, knowing nothing at all about it. The unique vibe and quotes from the film that have become so cherished and iconic were evident on first viewing. We loved it. But if you don't watch it, you'll never get to see Danny or Richard E. Grant's wonderful Shakespeare in the Rain, and that would be a real shame. Yeah, it would. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate you writing in. Thank you! Oh, wait, that's that's Steve Williams. Sarge, Sarge is... Sarge has already been taken care of. I assume these are all... Do you know all these people mili military ranks? Uh, I would assume that most of them would be uh, 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 just probably buck privates. Okay, well, who's next? Uh, our next comment is from Lieutenant Colonel Steve Chafin. Oh. Uh, USMC writes... <laughs> no, he's not for the... I mean, he maybe he's in the Marines. He didn't say. Uh, Steve writes, I found the easiest way to turn people on to Richard Grant is to describe him as the Benedict Cumberbatch of the 80s to 90s, but before they knew what to do with a Benedict Cumberbatch type. Withnull is a true classic, but I feel uh, like back in those VHS rental days in the U.S., how to get ahead in advertising was by far the easier to find and the better known of the two, even though its reputation has diminished over the years. And Grant is well known for his film diaries, excerpts of which were published in With Nails, a series of anecdotes about Withnull and other roles over the years. It's worth checking out if you're a fan. Well, thanks, Steve. I might have to look up that sometime. One more comment. Let's do this. All right. Well, um, mess hall cook David Simpson says, <laughs> I like it. I just don't love it. Never appealed to me, though I do. I did enjoy watching it. It is definitely a cult film. And here in the UK, when landlord, when the when your landlord yells for last orders, someone somewhere will always say, right, we have to work quickly. Or when told they can't be served or that they're closed, says, I demand to have some booze. I'll have to keep that in mind because I do intend to visit England sometime in my life. And I'll make sure that I keep that in mind so that if it does happen at the pub, I can laugh like I know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Just say, just just do that. Go into a bar. Don't say anything. Just go in and say, I demand to have some booze. Or I just uh, I want the finest wines and we want them now. Fuck it. <laughs> well, those are all our comments, Jason. So now comes the part where we need to find out how this movie compares to the United States of America. See, the United States of America was founded, oh God, in 1765? Um, 
I mean, 1776 traditionally 1776. Well, 1765 is when they planned it. 1776 is when it happened. There are lots of dates that you could choose as the beginning of the American Revolution. Was it in 1770, I believe, during the Boston Massacre? Was that the moment that America was born? America has been a country since 1972. Yes, that's right. And they made an AFI top 100 list. They came together in the wake of the uh, the oil embargo to uh, fend off the the nasty Arab uh, oil merchants. Yes, two years before Taxi Driver was released, America was officially a country. And they made an AFI Top 100 list. Uh, and we're going to compare it to the BFI Top 100 in terms of Withnell and I, which is number 29 on the BFI Top 100. So, Jason, pray tell, what is number 29 on the AFI Top 100? You'll be surprised to learn it's a movie I've not seen. What? But I have heard of. Oh, Jurassic Park. No, number 29 on the AFI's list is 1944's Billy Wilder film Double Indemnity. Ooh, that is a good movie. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, Double Indemnity is great film noir. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not my favorite film noir, but it's really good. Your but, favorite film noir is The Man Who Wasn't There with Billy Bob Thornton. Of course. <laughs> well, that was well received. I don't That's know what the movie. joke no, is. No, it's a good movie. Okay. I just figured that was a weird one to pick. <laughs> it's just weird that you picked the critically acclaimed one. <laughs> I, couldn't think I thought of a you were going to say the man who knew too much. Oh, with the yes, Bill with the Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> Intolerable Wait, no, cruelty. wasn't that The Man Who Knew Too Little? Yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, because The Man Who Knew Too Much is a the Hitchcock, Hitchcock yeah. movies. Yes. Um, But, okay, what I was going to say is, yeah, though, that movie's great. But I, you know what? Just for its iconic status, and even as a first, even though I watched it for the first time for this podcast, i got to give it to Withnell and I. There we have it, folks. Withnell and I wins uh, on the strength of Brendan having seen both movies that we just talked about. And, Jason, um, why don't you give your reason for your answer? Uh, Double Indemnity was made by Billy Wilder, and I don't approve of guys who use the name Billy. I think he should have gone by Bill or William. So, so Withnell and I with Dickie Grant. <laughs> I don't approve of that either. <laughs> All right, well that's it. Let's let's wrap this up with a neat little bow. We got to we got to move on. We got to talk about this week's movie, and that of course is the Dickie Attenborough hit, Brighton Rock. <laughs> That's right. We are talking about a movie that is very high up the list. This is number 15 mm. on the BFI Top 100. Is it 1947 or 1948, depending on the time of day and when what website you're looking up. And whether you're on the old calendar or the new calendar. That's right. This film is, of course, Brighton Rock, directed by John Bolting and starring Richard Attenborough. Yes. Uh, Hermione Baddeley. Our old pal. Our old pal. What is it? Who's other people in this movie, Jason? We got uh, William Hart Harnett Hartnell Hartnell, who yep. was uh, also known as the very first Doctor mm-hmm. uh, when he was an old man. We have Carol Marsh, who is uh, on loan from the J Rank organization. Isn't that an interesting credit? It's an interesting credit, but that's because in those days, like artists were like signed to these ironclad contracts with studios, and I think we've seen it in other movies too, where certain actors are loaned uh, to be in another company's movies. I really think we should bring that back. 
Yeah, you really you think we should just get rid of the actors' union altogether? I think drop the actors' union, bring back the studio system. It's the only way to do it. Hey, then we can have 12 Marvel movies a year. That's right. We can work these people to death 16 hours a day. Chris seven Evans days a week. just skin and bones, doing more <laughs> Captain America films. Spoiler alert, he's not in them anymore. Um, yeah, so Brighton Rock, uh, number 15. Uh, by the way, remember how we when we drew this movie out last week, I said the name John Bolting sounds familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And that's because, and this is crazy, yeah. because this movie is far removed from this movie. Is he your dad? <laughs> no, he's not my father. <laughs> <laughs> the other movie, <laughs> far removed from Bright Rock, John Bolting is my father. No, um, the other movie that he directed on this list is about as far removed from this as possible. He directed I'm All Right Jack. Oh, interesting. Right? Because yeah. I, I And I remember at the time seeing that he had done both movies, like way back, and thinking, oh, Brighton Rock must be like a comedy too. Yeah. And, and while, while nope. there's a little bit of comedy in this movie that mainly comes from Hermione Baddeley's performance, um, it's not a, yeah, there's not a whole lot of comedy in this movie. No, this is a movie that I would call kind of a film noir. Kind of a film noir, but there's not um, really like a there's not really like um like a femme fatale though. No, it it's more like it's kind of like a hard boiled detective. But it, it really we uh, we said morality play earlier, and that's really what it is in a lot of ways. Yeah, Glenn, uh, Graham Greene, who wrote the novel, was a was a Catholic and pretty confirmed Catholic at this point. He had converted to Catholicism. Are you saying he was an attractive man, a pretty confirmed Catholic? Yes, he was very pretty. Uh, but he. So he often worked Catholicism in his work, and we get a little bit of that in the movie because they talk about it, how they're both Catholics, and uh, you know we, we have this kind of struggle with a, a person who is quite evil uh, all the way through. There's not really much redeemable about the guy. No. Well, let's let's yeah. let's talk about what the basic plot of this movie is because we have first off, I got to compliment this movie yet again. A movie that has the credits up, up front, front credits. and not only has the credits up front with the roles, it has it shows a picture of each of the actors. So I am exactly clear on who everybody is going into the movie. I I, I first noted Jason is probably gonna ha- gonna ejaculate when he sees the oh, these opening Absolutely. credits. Absolutely, bring it back, studios. <laughs> you imagine how long the fucking <laughs> Avengers Endgame yeah, opening I, credits would have been? Like like uh, like fucking Robert Downey Jr. do like a half turn into the camera and be like Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. <laughs> I mean, they kind of do that in the end credits of Endgame, so there you go. At least the main ones did. Actually, no, everyone did. Good. Everyone got a little Well, I mean, it, I mean, really, Endgame's the one to have your Lord of the Rings 90-minute credit sequence. Right. But yeah, Brighton Rock. So this movie stars Richard Attenborough, mm. and he plays a character named Pinky. Pinky. He very young a, Richard Attenborough. He is a sociopathic... Uh, but maybe psychopathic, yeah. uh, mobster, gangster, and basically what happens in this let's film? Be, he, let's be clear. He is a seventeen-year-old, seventeen-year-old mobster yeah. who is running this mob after the the leader of the mob, who was in his forties, got murdered. Yes, and to the movie's credit, Richard Attenborough is only about twenty-two when this movie yeah. came out, so he's still very young. Yes. Um. Yes. So the leader, of the 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 leader of the gang, gets murdered. Uh, I believe his last name is Kite. Yes. Yes, he gets murdered. Um, and it's basically the result of a newspaper article that comes out by this uh, journalist named Fred. Yeah. Who posts 
Like he put he posts posts. See, I'm used to the, I'm <laughs> you used millennial, to the modern vernacular. <laughs> but he puts something in an article that basically um, raises the ire of a rival gang. Well, he 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 kind of oh, reveals the fact that Fre- uh, the the kite and this gang have been running an illegal slot machine operation. I yeah. believe, and basically it gets Fred it, or it gets kite killed. Yes, and because and now they're doing the C one hundred three fugitive uh, radio gimmick. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's basically what it is. But but actually, th- this gimmick, Brendan, for his historical context this gimmick was originally done by a well, british newspaper explain what the gimmick is so well it's a, what is it they have a reporter who goes around and they, there's like a picture of him they put in the paper and he has like a code name and you have to find him and if you recognize him and, and properly give him the right code phrase he hands you a card that is worth a certain amount of money that you can take and redeem he also hides cards yes he hides cards that you and can, if like, you pick, pick those up. up you get also like a smaller amount of money yeah so they see his picture in the newspaper and they say oh shit that's fred that's the guy that's the newspaper the guy who wrote the that article article who essentially indirectly got fred killed yeah. or got kite killed the names are fucking me up yeah. and then the rest of the, so the you know the movie um very early on they 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 kill he kills the journalist pinky murders the journalist and the rest of the movie is them trying to cover their tracks yeah and of course there's a, a hermione baddeley comes in we love hermione baddeley yeah. she's been in many of the movies we talked about she's an interesting character because she has really no interest in this case beyond being a concerned citizen who right. just want, likes a mystery she basically becomes an amateur sleuth yeah she's she's, she's she, fucking harriet the spy over here yes i actually wrote that on my notes <laughs> if this movie was made today it would be rosie o'donnell or it was made in the 90s or it'd be a kid say yeah but but I think, I think she, can't you see that as like a '90s movie, like some kid detective, like trying to stop some mobsters who killed a guy. I I don't know if the murder is usually in '90s. Yes, you could have had murder in a kids movie. But I but she gives me a rosy vibe. Yeah, she really does. Um, yeah. Well, she well she's brassy, and Rosie's always been brassy. Always brassy. Yeah. Hashtag stay brassy. Rosie. Like uh, Melissa McCarthy could definitely pull that off. Yeah. Yeah, I think she, yeah she'd be fun in that. Or even a Rebel Wilson. Yeah, or like a like a Michael Keaton. No, I mean, Michael Keaton can do anything, can't he? I'd like Michael Keaton to just play a brassy woman. I'm Hermione Badley. Wait, why is he playing the actor? <laughs> He's in a, a biopic about uh, Hermione Badley. That's a project so wild that I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Hermione Badley is like an amateur. She basically becomes like an amateur sleuth throughout the course of this movie. And yeah, it's kind of back and forth. Uh, uh, Pinky is like going after this waitress. Um, anyway, we'll get into it. But he's basically yeah. going after this waitress as like the one witness that could put him away. Yeah, she. So she saw the character of Spicer, who's another member of the mob. He's an older guy. Yeah, he basically went in to lay out the, uh, Fred's cards so yeah. that people would think that Fred died later on. Yeah, but. When she sees that he put the card down, she knows exactly. Oh, she knows. Oh, that's not the guy in the picture. And she's got like perfect recall for faces. For faces, yeah. yeah. So that that spirals a whole other thing, and then the movie just progresses. And I gotta say, right now, Jason, I don't care. I don't fucking care if this spoils the ending. Yeah. This is a fucking perfect movie. Yeah. This is a wonderful movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. It it is like it is like so succinct. Mm-hmm. It moves like a modern film. Point A to point B to point C. Like it's just everything is like. I just think it's like perfectly laid out. It reminds me of like Lady Vanishes where where I was just saying like in that movie, the script is so fucking tight. Mm. You know, like everything matters. Every little moment matters. Like Hermione Baddeley's character, uh, Ida, yeah. she has this laugh. Yes. And the laugh is like a big part, right? Yeah. You hear the laugh and you know she's in the scene. At the very beginning, and I only realized this when I was pulling clips for this episode. Yeah. But at the very beginning when Pinky is just in the bar when they found um, uh, Fred... Yeah. And they're harassing the journalist being like, you know, you know, we know what you did, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
you hear just faintly in the background her laugh. Yeah. So you well, know, like, you oh, also, she's in that. Well, yeah, you know she's singing. She's singing, But yeah. before that, you just faintly hear her laugh. And it's yeah. like, oh, so they're telling us she's in the scene. Yeah. You don't see her face, by the way, when you show that she's singing. You just see the back of her head. Mm-hmm. But then later on in the movie, as you see that Hermione Badley is also a singer yeah. and entertainer, you're like, oh, was that her? It was funny with her being a singer, like for the longest time, we're not exactly sure. Like, I wasn't exactly sure what her role was because she just seemed to be this drunk lady that was having a good time. Like, that's all she seemed to be doing, right? Like a socialite. But then at one point, she shows up and she's wearing this ridiculous, like, clown like, outfit. Yeah, this weird, like, well, she, she's not totally in a clown outfit, but she's wearing, like, this chest piece that is clearly, like, a clown outfit kind of thing. And I thought, oh, does this lady just have a weird sense of style? But then it turns out that she's in this, like, review. Because Brighton, of course, is a tourist uh, town, even to this day in Britain, and they have beaches there and stuff. And she's in like a review that is playing on the beach to tourists. And if you don't <laughs> believe us, let's take a listen to this song because it's yeah, great. You got to hear it. Hello, hello, how are you? Pleased to meet you. Hello, hello, the promenaders greet you with merry Christmas song or two. It's always our endeavor to every year provide for you a show that's clean and clever. Hello. Hello, it's Brighton and the faces. Hello, hello, one rose of smiling faces. There's lots of fun for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ida Arnold is my name, good-hearted Ida's me. The boys say I'm just the type to take upon a spree. I'll meet you any night you like and have a glass of port. And if you're henpecked, you'll agree that Ida is a sport. Hello, hello. Faces. Hello, hello, what rose of smiling faces, there's lots of fun for everyone, the cheery merry-o, so won't hear the boys and girls, hello, hello, hello. I have a question, why is she required by her bosses to say her real actual name while she's singing the song? That seems unsafe to me. Now, I get it. She's being, especially because she's being all cheeky. Jason, right? did you see how many people are watching? Like That's seven. True. That's true. There's like seven. But, but like a girl, a girl even makes the, the intimation that she might like to be down to fuck uh, in 1947 or 48. And, she, he, you know, she's going to have guys lined up at her door. But I mean, you can't just look up her name on Facebook. That is true. But that is a big advantage in 1947, 48. That Facebook was invented? Yeah, it was invented back then. Mark Zuckerberg oh. is actually uh, quite old, but he's mastered uh, anti-aging technology, but just won't share it with us. Well, because that's that's because of uh, his involvement in Pizzagate. Mm. You know what? You know what I've noticed? Uh, why is it that Mark Zuckerberg is the one billionaire that's not like just jacked like Hulk Hogan? Because like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are, are just totally jacked. Probably because he's like, I don't need to be. I mean, yes, but uh, he should because I think it'd be hilarious. Oh. I want to see him fight Elon Musk. I think it's because... Uh... I don't really need it. <laughs> Joe Defied, I'll take you down. Uh, uh, block. <laughs> I shoot a rocket at you. I know that's not really like, um, you know, fair, but. Shoot a rocket at a Jew. Wow, Elon Musk really doesn't like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> oh, I better get out of here. So speaking of Jew- uh, Jewish people, uh, there's religious themes in this movie. Well, not Jewish religious themes, certainly. No, yeah. but it's one of the religions. Well, d- so do you know the central metaphor of this movie? Because I didn't realize this until I read it. Uh, w- with the title, Brighton Rock. Brighton well, Rock is not a place. No, and it's based on a quote said by Hermione Baddeley in the film, I think. Well, what, do you know what Brighton Rock itself is? Do tell. It sounds like a drug. It's not a drug. It's candy. Okay. It's like a filled strip. with filled with drugs. Well, I, from what I understand, it seems to be a candy stick of a certain length, like almost like a like a candy cane that's not a cane. Okay. But it is made in such a way that if you 
bite into it, like on the inside of it, you can see like a name, usually like a brand name. And no matter where you bite it, you can kind of see it because it's been like pulled through the candy that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the, the idea is, is that that's representative of Pinky and that he's the same all the way through. He's not a guy where he has like a, a, a secret depth to him. He just, what you see is what you get. He's kind of charismatic when he wants to be, but ultimately he's a piece of shit. Yeah, and it, Jason, I feel like we've done a lot of these movies recently where the main character is a villain. Mm. Like we did, we talked about Get Carter. We talked about even even to some extent like Withnall. Yeah, I read it. I read a st- and and performance. I read a story that or, or a story. I read like an article that described him as an antihero, and I'm like, he's not really an antihero. There's nothing hero about no, him. No, he's not doing. He's not. He's not using bad means to get to accomplish something like good. He's he's just being an asshole he's yeah. a villain he so just this, happens to be the protagonist because we're following him this is crazy because i also read like uh, uh, uh i think it was like the summary in imdb and it said something along the lines of like um he kills someone and then the guilt like leads him down a path and i'm like that's not what happens i never got the sense that he was ever guilty about that shit no no internet you're wrong yeah like he's not a he's not a guy that has any comeuppance he has no well I mean, he, I mean, so so he has a little bit of comeuppance, but it's not really even comeuppance. It's just he dies. Spoiler alert! Yeah, holy shit, Jason! Yeah. Way to ruin the movie. <laughs> but yeah, but religion too. in this movie because, like you said, oh, so, so we should probably talk about Pinky a little more because Pinky yeah. is a, a, a which is he a sociopath or is he a psychopath? I would say sociopath. Well, sociopath. Can he be both? Well, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I'm no psychologist. I can't necessarily give you a dictionary definition, but. I mean, he's clearly willing to do whatever he wants, and he's clearly willing to do whatever he thinks is necessary for the job that he's doing because he's willing to murder a journalist over this thing, or at least encourage his death. Well, <laughs> and and I I say sociopath. Just some of his dialogue, it just it just seems to me. So basically, when when this guy Spicer, he's mm. in the he's also in the gang, and he's going to you know like we said, he's leaving those cards all around so that they think that the the journalist died much later and he won't be play, like blamed for the death or whatever. Yeah, he places one in the restaurant, and Pinky of course is like, "That's a stupid idea. Someone could have seen you." So Pinky goes into the restaurant to try to find it, and that's when he kind of meets Rose, who says, "You know, oh, you guess what? I found one of those cards earlier, but it was left by a man that looks nothing like the picture." Yeah, and I want to play that scene. Um, just so you can get an idea of kind of that dynamic and how Pinky talks. You'll never guess what I found here only 10 minutes ago. One of Connie Kibber's cards worth 10 shillings. The other girl said I was a fool not to challenge him. Why didn't you? I never thought. It wasn't a bit like his photograph. Maybe the card had been there all morning. Oh, no. I just changed the class before he come in because the other customer upset his coffee. Maybe you just didn't look at him close. Oh, I always look at you close. Customer, I mean. You see, I'm, I'm new and I get a bit scared. I wouldn't want to do anything to offend. Like standing here talking while you want a cup of tea. Well, that's all right. Don't go away. I like a girl who's friendly. Some of these here, blimey, they freeze you. They freeze me too. You're sensitive like me. I, um, uh, I wouldn't say anything to anyone about that man... You know, not being like the photograph. The newspaper might say there was a mistake, and then you'd lose your ten bob. What's your name? Rose. You and me ought to get acquainted. You got a boy? Not yet, I haven't. I'll meet you on the Palace Pier Sunday night by the concert hall, nine o'clock, all right? I have to be back by 11.30. Okay. 
Yeah? But what about your teeth? I just remembered I got an appointment, 2.30 sharp. You should have stopped me. Oh, that's all right. I shan't be too late. You send your card in quick and get the money. See you, Sunday. But, um, maybe you wouldn't know me again when you saw me. Oh, I'd never forget a face. So that's the kind of character he is. That's him pretending to be human. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's and you're right. Maybe that is uh, indicate, indicating that he is a psychopath because he has this kind of... Or sociopath, you mean? Well, psychopath oh, too. Oh, psychopath, yeah. Where he maybe he doesn't know how to feel, but he's able to effectively pretend and um, use that to manipulate this girl for his own ends, which is what he's doing from the start. And there's there's weird things he says to her later and stuff because he asks her if she's ever been in love. Yeah. And she says, oh, yes, of course. And she's 17 too. And yeah. he's just like, oh, you're very green. And then he goes, yeah. and then he says, I'm such an old hand at this. Well, well, no, he's, but he says, um, you don't know. And he's like, I know love. I've seen it. Like, it's just like, it's very, it's very much like, you know, I've read a book about it. I'm I, aware. I watch Saved by the Bell. I know how relationships work. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like, uh, like I'm learning what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Yeah. Also the religious stuff too. Okay. So they both, basically there's a scene where she pulls something out of her purse mm. and the cross fall, uh, falls out. Yeah. And it's it's um, revealed basically they both reveal to each other that they're Catholics and of course you know Pinky says something like I don't understand atheists or something like yeah. that <laughs> but then he says then we get the idea that they're 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 both Catholic and yeah. Pinky doesn't drink he doesn't smoke yeah. and then she says oh you're a Catholic and he says yes of course I believe there's a hell damnation burning eternity and she's like well and and to heaven right and he's like ah maybe that's the that's the fucking linchpin line right there that's that's him in a nutshell that he believes in all the bad stuff but the good stuff is just doesn't really even enter into his consciousness because he he knows he's smart enough to know that it's not going to matter for him (laughs) right it's almost like he believes like no matter what i'm going to hell so fuck it exactly and and it's interesting in this movie because like you said graham green has this kind of religious like this this Catholic background and, and there's a lot of, there's more in the book. I well, think. well, not Catholic background so much as, as like in his life, he was a, he was an atheist up until he was 24 and he married a girl oh. and he converted to Catholicism for her. And I guess some people argued, gave him enough arguments that he thought, okay, they make sense. And that's the way he went. So wow. great for him. It resulted in him being one of, you know, Britain's greatest novelists. Well, the thing I was going to say, the thing about that though, is that, um, uh, the character that Hermione Baddeley plays Ida, Ida Brown. Ida Arnold. Ida Arnold. <laughs> Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but Ida Arnold is like this, and she's kind of a morality. She's a real sort of morality yeah. center, but not in any kind of religious way. No, which is, yeah, which is interesting. I read this, and in the book too, specifically, that is the case, that she is kind of a contrast to uh, the rest of the characters and that she's a non-religious morality. That is- I wonder if it's like a criticism of the two extremes, because we have we have... Uh, Pinky, who claims to be this, you know, devout Catholic, but obviously on the wrong side of that. Mm. And we have uh, Carol Marsh, who plays uh, Rose, the waitress. And she seems to be, she's obviously a Catholic, but she's almost like too forgiving. Yeah. Too, you Clearly. know. Uh, too um, naive. Naive, young. I she, mean. Th- this might be the most naive female character I've ever seen in a movie. But I really like her in this oh, movie. Oh, she is great. She Carol is Marsh yeah. is great. Also, and- folks, another one of those movies you can watch and be absolutely 100% sure that every single person you see on screen is dead. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it. 
but again, this feels like another movie to me. I actually wrote down at one point that this almost gives like a Hitchcock vibe just because this movie is so like, I feel like this movie has a modern pace. I feel like this movie feels like they wouldn't have to change a whole lot for it to be released today. And I know there's a remake, which we'll talk about one day. Oh, and, and uh, fun fact I forgot to mention too, uh, uh, the character Pruitt is played by the same actor who plays Mr. Memory in uh, yes. in uh, 39 Steps. And that that must have been it. It, just, been it, it. just attacked my head and That's I was right. like, boom, Hitchcock. But yeah, so, um, what, and what do you think about the thing? The one thing that I noticed with Pinky, a neat little thing they had him do, or maybe mm. it was Richard Attenborough's idea. Yeah. He play, I was always playing with this string. He's doing like Cat's Cradle, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, and and I when I saw that initially, of course, being a a video gamer and having played the Hitman games, I assumed that that was like his Garrett wire, and that he was going to strangle some motherfuckers uh, with that. But no, that was just kind of his um, his little bit of physical business that he does is kind of a little thing that kind of must kind of keep him centered, keep him calm, keep him from lashing out at a given moment. Is that's the impression I got. Yeah, well, yeah, and 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 he only does he only seems to do it in scenes where he seems like he's gonna burst at the seams. He's anxious, yeah. Like at the very beginning, we that's how we were introduced to him. Yeah, when they're like going into a, a like a conflict situation, and he's doing it to kind of like probably as an intimidation thing too, because it's just a thing he's doing, but also for his own benefit. But like his the first scene we see of him, it yeah. starts on his hands yeah. doing the playing with you know with the string or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you know slowly we see his face, and then he doesn't talk for a while. No. Until uh, they confront the journalist, yeah. and this happens. We've been looking for you for a long time, Fred. I'm not Fred. That don't make any difference. Where are you going? Listen, have a drink. Come over here and have a drink. You know Pinky don't drink. You forget such a lot. You won't be able to remember anything soon. <laughs> Just one drink. Have a soft one. The governor, two scotch and a grapefruit. I'm only here on my job. Just one day, see? I'm Collie Kibber. You're Fred. All right, then. I'm Fred. But I've got a card in my pocket that's worth ten bob to you. We know. We was reading about you in the paper this morning. <laughs> here, take this messenger. You can have the old prize, ten guineas. And I'll give you a fiver, too. That's all I got on me, that and the return ticket. You uh, won't need that return ticket now, do you, Fred? Won't anybody shut that brass's mouth? Hey, what's the idea? The gentleman will pay. Some Han Solo shit there. The gentleman will pay. <laughs> yeah, and the, that's the first we hear of him is him yelling, well, somebody shut that brass's mouth. And that's such an interesting way to start with him because that ultimately is his undoing, is that yeah. is that Hermione Baddeley, who we hear singing, uh, Ida won't shut her mouth and that's why eventually you know she gets to the she gets to it she figures it all out it's kind of an interesting like like expression of his direct misogyny right out of the gate because it's just some brass it's not it's not a person it's just some lady this fucking singer it's some brass and and of course he's very much the you know they're all mobsters so they call girls skirts yeah and based on his interactions with rose he clearly sees women as a tool to be used for whatever his ends are well because and this is where this is where we end up going is that with rose this is we talked about how she you know she has you know good faces she recalls that it wasn't the guy in the picture and his idea is to marry her hmm. seduce her and marry her so that she can't uh be forced to testify against him in court yeah because a, a wife can't 
you know, doesn't have to testify against her husband. It's like an arrest development fucking line because they were t- isn't that something they come under rest development where it's like yeah the wife doesn't have to testify against the husband i think so yeah which i think is a thing in english common law but i don't know that uh so we, so what i'm saying is if we have any lawyers that are uh, listening especially lawyers that wear wigs please let us know i don't think it's in america i think that's jeffrey tambor's uh critical <laughs> error the same guy that said i committed a little light treason <laughs> right also r.i.p jessica walter jeez that was yes recent. yes uh and r.i.p tawny katane oh yeah yeah R.I.P. All those Palestinian children. Yes, for yeah, sure. No, but for it sure. sounded like you were about to do a bit. And I was no, like, no, no, no bit there. Bit. Just hey, Israel, fucking knock it off. Yeah, it's also a good way to introduce Pinky in that scene because it shows. Because at first I thought of, I was like, okay, he's gonna be like the cool, collected guy heading up this mob. Like he's gonna be, he's gonna be dangerous, but he knows what he's doing and he's got everything under control. And he is not. He is out of control. Like mm. he's the only one in this scene that makes a scene. Yeah. Like if he had not made that scene, they might have gotten away with everything. And that's the thing that I think they're missing. So because in this movie, the only person that Pinky seemed to have any like respect for or like any like even deference to was Kite, who's the guy that's dead. Kite was the original leader of the gang. Kind of William Hartnell's character a little bit. A little bit, yeah. He seems to be the only guy that's actually his friend, like that actually kind of gets along with him specifically and isn't like seen as an underling. But even he is like, this guy is bad news. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing is that the rest of the gang, the reason why he's in charge is like many gangs, uh, uh, they're afraid of him. Right. And he, he is able to, you know. So do you think he was like... Was Kite like a father figure to this guy? Because, I mean, I thought it weird at first. I thought about it, and I was like, this is a 17-year-old gangster yeah. that suddenly becomes the leader mm. when this guy who's like in his 40s passes. So he must have been like a really close. Yeah, he must have been like in a sort of mentor-mentee type of relationship. And clearly, given how angry he is, like I don't think he's ever that mad about anybody else dying in the movie. He doesn't give a shit about anybody's lives except for this dude. Yeah. And that's kind of what sets him on this path is this anger because that's what makes them go after Fred in the first place. And I love, I need to point out too, because the scene where they, so the journalist, it, it, there's, it's a great open, I mean, I love the whole movie, hmm. but the opening like 20, 30 minutes is so fun because uh, Fred is like running through the streets. Yeah, there's some He's, really cool shots of Brighton. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's really like, again, it's a very like modern style shots. Like yeah. it, it, it feels like a modern movie. Just it feels it, like a Hitchcock movie, like you say. It, it, yeah, yeah. It it's does. got that vibe to it of like the guy on the run, you know? The chase. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if this had been a Hitchcock movie, like that would be, it would be his movie for like the whole movie. Yeah. But, you know, he dies like 25 minutes in. Yeah. But he's like, he's running around and, and it's really well shot. And then, the scene where they finally get to him. Oh, well, we should say that he goes up to a couple of ladies before that. And, you know, he tries to like basically get people to be near him and talk to him and stuff. So just to can. keep him, to keep him from getting separated from everybody so that he was vulnerable. And, and, and that's the whole thing with Hermione Baddeley with Ida, because yeah. he finds her and they have a conversation and she's very boisterous and fun. And, well, she and of likes, course she assumes like any, I assume woman at that time would assume is that he's trying to pick her up. Yeah. And, and she and, just thinks the whole thing is funny. Yeah. Exactly. You know, she's just having a fun time. She's like, oh, well, let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, she, yeah. And then, and then eventually he, you know, she goes off to do something for just a few seconds. He gets on the ride that's like the Dante's Inferno. Yes. There's like a haunted house type ride. Yeah. Yeah. And then Pinky quickly takes the guy that's sitting beside him out of there and sneaks into that chair. And then it's such a great moment because, you know, 
Fred doesn't know, and then the ride starts. He, he just turns, turns around, and then he, you know, right there, he's like, "I'm dead." And then we have this cool sequence of them going through the ride and having like these superimposed like ghosts and goblins and things that you might see in this yeah. ride. And he's like holding on to uh, Fred, and then yeah, it's just the the series of cuts implies that he gets dumped into the water. Yeah, because they're on the beach, right? So no, it was really. I love that part. It was yeah. almost like a well. I mean, it's Dante's Inferno, so it's literally a descent into hell. Yeah. And and again, we had that we have that scene later where he talks about I believe in hell. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's just it's an interesting tie into the religious sh- shit. I like to think that Pinky literally thinks that hell is that ride. <laughs> He's just like this ride fucking sucks. I'm gonna He's kill him. Like, no, on this no, ride. I, I know this ride is hell. This is the literal hell that we talked about in church. <laughs> I'm gonna open up a park for dinosaurs. <laughs> We should say that also right now, establish, if it wasn't obvious, Richard Attenborough is fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, he's great in this movie. He's so cold. There's like, you look at, it's like when you look at someone's eyes and there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, no, and it's like you think about like even just his little tiny role in um, uh, Matter of Life and Death. He just was such a jovial like kind of guy. Very quick. Yeah. Or, yeah. or of course, we think about his later work like as John Hammond. And of course, John Hammond, the John Hammond he played was a very jovial, like kind of like like warm, grandfatherly type character. And I know you said, we were watching the clip and I know you said, oh, I can kind of, I can see the face, yeah. like the young face. I can't. Like I can't see John Hammond. He's I think it's just because he's so radically different in this yeah. movie and he's so, so young. Faced. So smooth faced, so young, and such an a monster yeah. that I just can't put him and John Hammond together. But of course I see I see Richard Attenborough and I think he was a little short and he kind of reminds me of Mickey Rooney in a similar way. They're both redheaded dudes in this black and white era. They're both kind of short dudes and and kind of I think filled similar roles. I'm, surely Mickey Rooney must have tried to play a gangster at some point. <laughs> I, I'm sure he has. He must have tripped to break because he was in all those like family pictures, like the Andy something or other. He was like Andy the, Griffith. No, but he was like the he was like the son of this dad who was like a pastor, and they like yeah. you know had adventures. Also, we talked about Richard Attenborough in another movie on this list when he was in Elizabeth. Even in that movie, he's like a much warmer character, yes. right? And I mean, I get, I get, he looks a lot more like John Hammond in that movie because yeah, it was four years after in, Jurassic In his Park. older years, yes, he very much filled those sorts of roles. But yeah, that's why it's so weird for me to see him in this. And apparently, you know, um, the, the role that got him this role hmm. was in Which We Serve. Where he plays the young stoker that uh, uh, is kind of cowardly in battle, but Noel Coward's character, you know, like... Uh, Basically gives him a mercy to be like, hey, look, we've all fucked up, but don't do it again. <laughs> and he redeems himself and then I, I ends up dying at the end yeah. of that movie. And yeah. apparently that, we, th- so this is the crazy thing though. That got him this role, but he had actually played this character before. Like he had yeah. played it on stage. The director of this movie, John Bolding, had no idea. He really? just saw in which we serve and he was like, I love this guy. Let's get him for Pinky. And then brings him in for the audition. He's like, wow, you're really good at this. You almost, almost like you played this character it's before. Like, wow, you, like, you didn't, we didn't even give you the sides and you were already reciting the monologues. Well, I have. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Hermione Baddeley and William Hartnell both reprised their roles from the play. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah, they they are very. They, I think those two were hired. It's weird. I don't know how he didn't know. <laughs> but I but, guess. But again, like like you said before, back then there wasn't any Facebook. It wasn't like you could just look these people up and see all their connections to your friends. You just had to kind of, you know, hope that you got the best of the best when you were auditioning people. The best around. around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. You're the best around. I can't get that high. I mean, I can get pretty high, Brendan, but I can't get that high. See off mic moments, but you can't because they weren't recorded. They're only for us. 
Maybe that's something we could offer someday as a as an insider uh, thing. We we just we record. Our, I feel like uh, we'd get canceled. <laughs> we record our smoke sessions. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to edit those down. Yes. Um. <laughs> there was okay. So we talked about Pinky a lot. Let's talk about Hermione Baddeley because she's wonderful. She is great. She's and, she is brassy and and broad. She's just uh, she's an independent, strong woman in a time where that was less common. Yes, and I think she's. And I never knew this, by the way. Do you know that she's in Mary Poppins? I saw that in her in her list. I didn't realize that. I, I don't know the last time I've ever watched Mary Poppins. If I have, it's probably as a child. If I did, but I yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think she has a relatively small role. She plays like a housekeeper or something. But yeah, I re- I mean, the first thing I think we saw her in was Room at the Top. Yeah, where, and that was the movie where she that was, was the one on where screen she had five minutes scene yeah. and was nominated for an Academy yeah. Award. Yeah, deservingly so. And of course, she was in Passport to Pimlico. Passport to Pimlico, and yeah. uh, and and this, and she's. I would say. She's one of the leads. Yeah. No, like, 100%. Yeah, no, she is the driving force of this movie. Yeah. She, she's she's big and brassy, like we well, said. Because she's... without her, uh, a lot of stuff wouldn't have gone down the way it went down because she was trying to figure out what was going on. And I'm sure that uh, Rose would have been dead by the end of this movie if she had been, not been involved. And I love I love Hermione Baddeley's, just just her overall style. Can we can we just listen to her talking to, uh, to the journalist? Yes. Like, just before that whole... You know, he gets murdered. This is how she kind of talks to him. She's she's a fun lady. Yes, absolutely. Oh, 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 oh. If it isn't Saurus himself, where are you running old to, eh? Would you like to sit down? Well, if you've got sixpence, I haven't. <laughs> Would you believe it? I put my bag down for half a second, and when I look, there isn't any bag. First me gloves, then me bag. What did I lose, Nick? <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'll do for money. I have to borrow ten bob from someone till I get paid. Here. Have this. Oh, now, really, that is kind of you, dear. Here, yeah, what's your name? Fred. Fred? Whoever pinched my bag will wish he'd never been born. I'm a sticker where right's concerned. Sure you can spare it. Had a good day yesterday, Lester. Here, can you give me a tip for Brighton Saturday? That boy, four o'clock. He's ten to one. Well, we'll take it or leave it. Oh, I'll take it. I always take a tip. That's my system. <laughs> Come back to London with me. What now? You sick or something? Yes, I'm sick. Oh, go on. You're kidding, aren't you, Fred? Men are funny with me that way. Think I'll mother them, I suppose. Just stay with me, won't you? Even if I'm not sick. Dear, of course I will. Call me Ida. I like you, Fred. I liked you from the moment I met you. You're a real sport, Fred. Come along, dear. Let's have a bit of fun. You won't leave me. Even for a minute, will you, Ida? Not for a minute, Fred. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, Also in that scene and other scenes in the movie, there's another old friend we haven't talked about that we've seen, and that's the Brighton Pier. Okay. Yeah. before you tell me, because I have a question, because sure. it reminded me of one particular movie. Yeah. Has this movie was this movie in Mona Lisa? That's one hundred percent. Thank in Mona Lisa. you. Yes. Okay. Because this is the this is the the scene in Mona Lisa where Bob Hoskins confronts her, yeah. right? And 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 uh, is like kind of getting violent and shit. And you feel like it probably is a direct reference to this movie, just because they're both gangster movies, and it seems like that would be. And but it's also a great place to like. It's a cool, really cool place, and that even I think even now it looks very similar. 
Is there another movie that you were gonna that it was from? Uh, no, it? that was the one I was gonna oh, mention. Okay. I, but I know I've seen it in other films before because I'm always like, oh yeah, that one from Mona Lisa. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Hermione Baddeley in this movie, we just heard her speak. She's such a, a great character, so strong, so independent, and and again, not a sort of female character we see as much uh, in those days. Uh, but we got to talk a little bit about the contrast in Rose. Rose has to be the most naive female character I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like It's like, it, yeah, he's 17, and I, I don't believe he's 17. I believe he's older than that. But she says she's 17. It's like, no, she's like 12. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Do you, you, you're saying the character is not 17. I'm saying certainly not mentally. I like like she comes across no, as no, a sorry, child. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm saying you're saying that in this movie, yeah. Pinky is lying about his age. Well, I don't think he's actually lying about his age. But when okay. I when when he said he was 17, I was just like, come on, bud. Richard Ambrose was only about 22. He was only about 22, but like this guy clearly has uh, uh, is wise beyond his years for the experiences that he's had, and yeah. certainly not comparable to a modern 17 year old, and certainly beyond even that contemporary 17 year old. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, exactly, yeah. But I know what you mean. But Rose is this character, and yes, she's so naive. But it's it 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 makes sense in the context of who she's presented as because yeah, and, she's and very young, and she's also like we said, a very Catholic. Yes, very very guarded, clearly very sheltered. Yes, and so you kind of I I think you kind of accept that mm. of how, of how naive is, and that might that might make her I think the most tragic character of this entire movie. Tragic, yes, absolutely, and and we'll and we'll discuss why when we get to the end, um, and we'll debate that yeah. because I've heard different sides of yeah. it. So yeah, um, so yeah, so maybe we should head toward that place toward the end of the movie. Um, well, let's talk about one key scene before sure. we get there because there is a scene. So so again, Pinky is like this girl Rose. She she is gonna be a problem if I don't you know take care of this. So he yeah. kind of romances her a bit, and essentially and eventually gets her to agree to marry him. Yes, um, through a form of intimidation as well. At one point, there's even a little subtle thing where um, that earlier scene where we listened to Hermione Baddeley singing. Mm. There's a scene of uh, he he's holding onto her wrist. Yeah, and it's not super obvious, but after he, like he holds her to wrist cause he's freaking out. Like, what did you tell her? What did you tell them? Yeah. And then after he lets go, she kind of does a quick, like, you know, rubbing her wrist to yeah. make sure it's okay. But so he gets her to agree to marry him. And then they decide, she says, Oh, you know, it'd be a fun romantic thing is if you record this message onto a gramophone mm-hmm. for me. So yeah. So they go to this place and he records this, recording for her because she wants her to get him to record this love lovey message for her yeah. even though she knows she's never gonna be able to play it because she doesn't have a she doesn't have a, a thing to play a gramophone now the the thing you got to think about when you're listening to him say this horrible thing into the into the recording is that the shot is like of her face up against the window and she looks so lovelorn mm-hmm. and she looks so happy yes. and tears come out of her and it's the saddest thing yeah as he's saying what he's saying through the soundproof booth so she can't actually hear him yeah, and and thank God she's not a lip reader because the whole operation would be over. Let's uh, let's take a listen to what he says. You asked me to make a record of my voice. Well, here it is. What you want me to say is I love you. Here's the truth. I hate you, you little slut. You make me sick. Why don't you get back to Nelson Place and leave me be? 
It's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Using the word slut in 1947, 48. That caught me off guard a bit too. Yeah. I think that was in that in that time in that cushy time period where you could still use it. <laughs> well, this movie kind of gives me the impression that this was still in the time when the idea of like a rating was still in flux of what was acceptable in movies and not because I know this movie was controversial for uh, the slashing scenes in it's it. It's violent. So something we haven't discussed is that the the gang that they're in is a racetrack gang. Mm-hmm. which I guess they operate around racetracks and they cause fights there and stuff. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what the purpose of a racetrack game. I Googled race gang and got a whole bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, not related to racetrack gangs. Uh, but yeah, th- so they operated around racetracks. And at one point, so we have the character of Spicer, the old guy who had gone and placed not the Not Sean. No, not Sean. I wish it had been Sean. Oh. You mean because of what happens yeah, to him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... He goes, uh, so he's the guy that places the card, and of course Rose saw him, and he's becoming a liability, and he's an old guy, and eventually ends up with uh, him wanting to leave, like he wants to leave town. He's like, I'll go disappear for a while. Yeah. And if so, you need me out of here. And he's like, yeah, all right, that's great, but come with me. We need to get out of the racetrack. We need to take care of something. So we'll deal that, and then you can get out of here. And so they go down to the racetrack, and then the, so we haven't even talked about- The uh, other gang. The other gang. The Colleone gang. The Colleone gang. Colleone's another gangster that that, um, that Pinky has been in touch with, and he got his help to try to kill um, Spicer. And also, so, also the Colleone gang uh, modeled after a real gang, mm. uh, the Sabini Racetrack Gang of the 1930s, mm-hmm. um, which used straight razors. That was their thing. They were always used. They were always used straight razors, and that's what happens. He gets cut in the cheek, right? Yeah. Um, uh, a former Sabini gang member actually served as the technical advisor on this movie. <laughs> And basically taught Richard Attenborough how to behave as this character P- Pinky would. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, but there's also so, in the movie as a yes. barman who doesn't speak. So they all attack, um, they all attack Spicer and are like, look like they're just going to murder him. It's just a fucking huge group of guys that just swarm on him. But then they also attack Pinky and slash him. And of course, Pinky, this is one of the few times in the movie we see Pinky fucking lose it. Like, like, like all control where he's just like, no, no, you're not supposed to attack me, him. And then he fucking runs off scared. Like that's one of the, like, there's two times I think in this movie we see him super scared. And because that's he's, one of them. he's all about control. Exactly. Right? He's all about maintaining this face that he has of like yeah. this intimidating gangster. And this is one of the only times he gets thrown off that. And of course, uh, and then this was controversial because apparently at the time, slashing a person in the face was enough to be controversial. <laughs> and so there were a lot of places that wouldn't play it. And Well, and Brighton had a hard time with this too. Mm. The, the, the tourism board of Brighton did not care for this movie. And they not. forced them to put that disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah. You know, there's a disclaimer at the beginning saying like, this was Brighton of yesteryear. This is not like the Brighton of today. Come on down. Be safe. We'll have a great time. You spend all your money and be a tourist. It's it cool. Is, it is almost is says that it's almost a tourist advertisement for brighton and i don't know a hundred percent of that but i mean just based on the fact that i know brighton was upset with the movie Hmm. i guarantee they pushed for that yeah no 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 question no question because they didn't want to ruin their tourism business and i think because i say i'm pretty sure to this day brighton is still a big seaside destination for people in england and scotland and wales and northern ireland and probably even ireland and so like you mentioned spicer is in that ruckus but he doesn't die and he's and he comes back later, and that leads to possibly one of the most brutal scenes in the movie. Yeah, uh, we we have a we have a gimmicked uh, railing. <laughs> it's a wrestling term that's for right. a railing that's been pre-broken. And because uh, because he walks up to see Spicer and he sees that he's alive or whatever, goes into the room and we just hear like them talking from outside. And I thought, oh, is he gonna like murder him in the room so we don't see it? But no, he like walks him out of the room and then fucking like kicks him in the gut and sends him through the railing. And it's it's such a cold scene too because right after he's like. 
mm, the banisters needed work for a while now. Yeah, exactly. Just coming up with the story. And he's like, oh, his luggage probably should have fallen with him too, so they toss his luggage down. Well, that's another character, and that's a character we haven't talked about very much. We haven't talked very much about, and that's yeah. the lawyer, Mr. Pruitt. Yeah. Because they have a lawyer. They're their gang lawyer. He's the Sean Penn mm-hmm. uh, to the to their Al Pacino. Um, but he but he doesn't turn on them and uh he's he's so conflicted like that's his character right he's uh, he's conflicted about what he's doing um he he he's obviously not living a happy life no he's got general. a he's got a very ugly wife according to him that uh <laughs> that uh, he just hates and and neighbors um which i can relate to that don't stop fucking banging on the wall or playing music yep <laughs> um right there with you Pruitt. but uh, and and there's this uh, there's this scene here where he kills spicer Pruitt sees that mm. and you know without missing a beat pinky looks right at him and says well you saw the accident happen yeah, and that's what it's gonna be. And then even Pruitt, like you, like you said, the line at that point is just like, "Oh God, what am I doing?" And he's like, "Oh, throw the briefcase down. I'll wipe it for fingerprints." Yeah. Like he's telling them what to do, but he's just like, Ugh. "Yeah, he clearly doesn't want to do it, but he understands the situation, demands it." And and because we're talking about Pruitt, I can't go without playing the scene where uh, Ida Hermione Baddeley goes and like finds him, yes, and interrogates him because there's there's a lot going on here. In terms of like just filmmaking. Yeah, okay, I have a question before we play this scene, Brendan. So sure. in in the in the novel I read and in the movie, she wins a big bet because she bets on Black Boy, which is the horse that uh, Fred told her to bet on in the race. Um, and I, I read that in the book, she like is using this money to like bribe everybody to talk to them. Hmm. I didn't notice her in the movie doing that. Did you happen to notice that? I don't know that that bet really came of anything, though, uh, despite seeing her win that bet. I don't think she does that in the movie. At okay. All. But yeah, so th- yeah, so let's listen to her um, uh, interrogate uh, Pruitt, and you'll notice a lot of background sound too, and we'll talk about that. Mr. Pruitt, Madam, I haven't the pleasure. Neither have I, but I've got to see you. You ought to have made an appointment, but I think I can fit you in before Colonel Pridham arrives. Does that noise go on all the time? And I can stand it no more. I beat on the wall. Now, madam. You ought to eat more careful. Nothing does it any good. You drink too much. The last of the old and crusted. Excuse me. Now, listen, Pruitt. You were there when Spicer got knocked off. Knocked off? Killed. Who are you? It was the banisters, the broken banisters. Did you do it, or was he there all the time? You don't know what you're saying. You look ill, you know. Real bad. I bet you got an ulcer. No, 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 nothing like that. You ought to have your inside photograph. So I love that I, I love that scene, and there's just so much going on to make everything kind of uneasy. Like mm-hmm. the music next door, he's pounding on the wall to get them to stop. She's in his face. He's and, having gastrointestinal problems as well, well. But is it that, or is it just that that's his guilty? Thing? It could be because but I, either way, he's having a physical manifestation of something. With and I, I don't doubt a guy like a lawyer at this time would have like stomach problems. Of course, <laughs> probably well, drinks a lot. Yeah, probably drinks a he lot. He says he drinks a glass of the old crusted or the old encrusted once in a while, but <laughs> which which made you audibly gag. Yeah, that that doesn't sound like something I want to drink. Um, but she says in that scene, she says, uh, you know, I know I know what she actually means when she says this, but she says your insides should be photographed. 
but it's also almost a way of saying like you're ho- you're hiding something, mm. and mm. we should take a, you know take a photograph as in like you should tell us what that is. Like what are you hiding? Kind of thing. Yeah, give it to me. Yeah, I want to know, baby. I want to know. And he eventually tells her some stuff, right? Yeah, I think he fills her in a little bit because she she gets clues from everybody. But then we eventually get to a point where um, everything's starting to come home to roost and Pinky's going to make a move. Well, Pinky is like at this point, he's like, you know, I've married this girl, but like it's almost I think what motivates him him is like he he doesn't want to be married to this girl. No, he doesn't want to deal with her anymore. He's like, I don't want to actually like I think he would rather be arrested than have a, a quiet married life in the country. Yeah, he does threaten her kind of at one point, doesn't he? Like he sits her down and is like, this is how it's going to be. And uh... oh, no, he gets her to agree to a suicide pact. Well, yeah, eventually. I, I thought before, though, because in the book, apparently he threatens her with acid <laughs> like the drug. No, oh. no actual like burning acid. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna, no, like, we're going to trip balls if you don't help me out here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to super dose you. <laughs> yeah. No, so he threatens with acid, and then at the end of the, the novel, he ends up getting acid on himself before his ultimate fate. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but in this, um, but, but he does eventually get to the point where he's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to make her think it's a suicide pact. But then obviously, yeah. you know, when she does the deed herself, he's just going to fuck off. Yeah, his point is like, look, we'll, we'll go together. Uh, you don't want to see me hang. So the only thing we can do is we can commit suicide and you kill yourself first and then I'll kill myself and then it'll be all good. And his, his thought is that, oh, I saw it happen before. Some, some girl and a guy had a suicide pact and the girl died and the guy survived and they didn't charge the guys. So I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Also, Jason, because this movie has had this level of brutality that I didn't expect in a 1940, you know, 47 movie. I yeah, face boys, slashing. Yeah, you don't expect that shit. Because of that, I thought, shit, this might happen. Yeah. She might die. They might stop him. They will stop him because it's a you know a movie in the 40s. Mm. But she could be a casualty here. Yeah, exactly. The, the movie has been brutal enough so far that you could, you certainly will allow that that could happen. Yeah. In the course of this movie. And it's a cra- it's a really intense uh, finale. Yeah. Yeah, this poor woman. And you get this character who, we, uh, we get this uh, thing we didn't really talk about a lot about William Hartnell, the mm. first Doctor Who? Yes. Yeah. Who plays, um, is it Dowell or? Da- Dally. Dally. That's Dally. He plays Dally, and he's the one that kind of gets a conscience. And and his his girl, uh, is, his girlfriend is named Judy. Yeah, he seems like the his most, wife. His wife. He seems like the most morally respectable of the gangsters. Like he doesn't seem like a crazy person. Like he seems like a moderating influence on um, Pinky to some extent. He's like De Niro in most of Goodfellas. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know where he kind of he does the job, and he if he has to kill someone, he will. Mm. But he doesn't go out of his way to do something that he, unnecessary. No. Exactly. I mean, and these these are all older guys that have more experience than Pinky, of course. But right. they're not psychopaths, certainly in the same way that Pinky is. Um, so yeah, in in this movie, you know, uh, uh, Rose takes the gun. She's about to do it. Of course, they stop her from doing it, and Pinky gets uh, falls into the water and dies. Yeah, he kind of gets he he has that second moment where he finally breaks because because the, the cops are coming in. Yeah. She isn't dead, and she throws the gun in the water. She throws the gun in the water, so he's lost his last like line of defense at that point. And he kind of like I say in the in the book, he like spills acid on himself and then falls into the water. But in the movie, it seems like he just more just scared and then like trips and falls, and that's that. And that yeah, he he dies, and 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 then and then Jason, we had to talk about the very ending of this movie yes we do and maybe we'll just play it and then we'll talk about it obviously but like you know um rose is in the room with a nun yeah and she's talking about it which by the way in the book i believe is a priest okay interesting yeah but she's talking about pinky 
And in in the in the finale of this scene, she plays. She finally gets to play the gramophone. And let's just let's listen. We heard that message earlier, so mm-hmm. let's let's hear that. That woman saying you wanted to get rid of me. She doesn't know a thing about love. Perhaps she was right, my dear. And you don't either. I know. I've got proof. I've got his voice. I don't want to be forgiven. I'm afraid of missing him. My child, there's always hope. It's the air we breathe. You can't understand, nor I, nor anyone for that matter, the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God. We have to hope and pray. I want to help, but I don't know how. You say he loved you. There's hope. Even that sort of love? Any love. He loved me. I'll show you he loved me. Mother, can I? If you want to. You asked me to make a record of my voice. was a scene where he was trying to break the gr- the record because she yeah, did he, finally get a gramophone player. He tried to smash it on his shoe, but didn't have he, much luck. He couldn't smash it because those things are tough as fuck. Yeah. And he did, though, manage to get it to skip, as yeah. you heard, and it skips on, I love you, I love you, I love you. So she never finds out that he was a bastard who never cared one iota for her. Now, apparently... The movie was going to end with her hearing the whole thing and being devastated, and that was how it was going to end. Now, I think I, that's in the book, but I wasn't it, able to get full confirmation. It is in the book. Yeah. I think I believe you're right. Now they they changed the ending to this because they were they thought the censors wouldn't allow them to end the movie on such a down note in you know 1947. And the Graham Greene, the author, has gone on record to say like he thinks this ending, he thought this ending was not good. Like he th- he said it was too sappy, it was too happy. I think this is sadder. Yeah. Don't you? It, 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 is, it is certainly more tragic, and it's part of the reason why I don't think I like this movie quite as much as you. Oh. Um, I like this movie a lot. Don't get me wrong. But this ending is such a cruel, tragic uh, twist for her because this this is the sort of situation that leaves, leads to the old lady from um, Great Expectations. This is a woman who, she is 17 years old, and she is going to spend the rest of her life pining for her beautiful husband that died so tragically and thinking that he was this great thing, and she'll never move on from it. And, and to do that to her in this movie, yeah, you're right, Brendan, it is so much more tragic and cruel than giving her the truth and and as much as it would hurt her, allowing her to move on with her life. Like that's that's what got me is that this woman, this character in this movie is so goddamn naive throughout the whole movie. And be and because of this ending, she never stops being naive. 
But that's why I kind of like the ending. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I, I appreciate it from that perspective, but like, I just, I feel it's so mean to that character that she doesn't leave with any sort of like perspective on what happened, that she's left with this illusion because of this fucking damage to this record. And sure. And honestly, d- 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 if she fucked around with it, she could hear the rest of it. Like at some yeah. point, surely she must, if she's going to fucking play this thing over and over, eventually it's going to uh, get past the skip and work. Well, Graham Greene also said, like he said, in the world of this movie, she definitely at some point picked up the needle, you know, put it back down and heard the rest of the message. Yeah, she would have had to have. Um, but uh, you know how, so the, the, they put an ad out in the newspaper for this character to, to cast her. Mm. Do you know what the ad uh, said? Uh, <laughs> need a tight girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, a little bit more descriptive. Okay. Uh, they said they needed someone who was frail, innocent, naive, and tolerably but not excessively pretty. I mean, sure. I mean, I I think I think tolerably pretty. I was gonna say I think she's very attractive in this yeah. movie. Oh, I think I, she's very yeah, good looking. Sure. Um, but yeah, she definitely has that kind of innocence lo- uh, about her. She doesn't look super fancy. She's just like a you know like a, a young girl, she, you know, high school girl. She was interviewed fifty years after this movie came out in ninety seven, um, and she said she had never seen the movie and she couldn't bear to. I understand that. That's the the Adam Driver thing. Like, uh, some. I mean, and, hey, I get it. It sometimes can be hard to watch yourself or listen to yourself. Uh, uh, it's why I have a hard time listening to this podcast back. As much as Brendan hates that. Yeah, listen to yourself, you bitch. I I just feel weird walking down the street laughing to myself. <laughs> I do it to I you. Oh, well, you should. I'm very funny. But I I think it's also just the role. I think it was such a. Her knowing how the how the movie ends, yeah. it's just it's just so hard yeah. to listen to watch that. It is, it is and, very and hard. I think I mean that was in ninety seven. I mean she's you know she's since passed away. I think she went her whole life without seeing the movie, or at least you know at least that's what she says. It's on the BFI list, lady. You should have watched it. <laughs> well, hold on now. I bet you she saw a taste of honey. Well, probably it's her favorite film. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Um. Do you know that also that Brighton Rock in America, it was called Young Scarface? Which is d- totally makes sense for the era. Absolutely. I mean, the 30s, uh, 1933, I But think? also to the point where Brighton Rock as a as a, an item, as a candy, wouldn't make any sense to an American. It didn't make any sense yeah. to me until I read it, you know. Because I think the original Scarface uh, was 1930s, and they also had the movie Little Caesar hmm. with... Uh, Mickey Rooney, maybe. Does Mickey Rooney make pizza in that movie? Yeah, of course. That's Obviously. it's it's a biopic about the uh, where the, the restaurant began. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just thought that was interesting that it was retitled. Uh, but it makes sense, like you said, the Brighton Rock phrase doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, but uh, I think I think that's it before bits and bobs. Sure. You think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah all right. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot. Okay. Well, we're gonna take a brief break, and we will be right back. Age of Radio. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. Then we got us fucking bits and bobs and I drank a beer so I'm singing about bits and bobs. 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 The bits and the bobs. 
Thank you, Brendan. Bits and bobs and bits and bobs okay. and bits and bobs and bits and bobs and bits and bobs and bits and bobs and bits and bobs. I thought I was the one that liked to go on and on. Bits and bobs, bits and bobs, bits and bobs. All right, we got bits and bobs. God damn it! Jesus Christ! What's it call? Bits and bobs. Bits and makes me bob good. I ain't afraid hey. of no bits and bobs. Hey, step off. Bits and bobs. Once again, upfront credits. Everybody, do it. That's an order. As we as we explained, Carol Marsh, by permission, had been let out of her slave contract to go and uh, be in this movie. I'm and, sure they must have made like 15 quid a week. And of course, as I said, and I'll state it again, bring back that studio system. Lots of uncomfortable beach footage, only uncomfortable because there's a lot of people close together and the pandemic is still not over as of this recording. And apparently, a lot of that footage, by the way, especially when they're going through crowds. Yeah. Um, they had hidden cameras. Oh, nice. And the crowds do not know they're being filmed. They're real crowds. That's cool. That's and crazy for 1947. But that's also neat. To, again, you, you think about like, oh, look at all these people in this scene. Like every person has a story and all of them are dead. You're a dark individual <laughs> with a dark soul. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, local race track gang. I wrote local race gang. They were not a race gang in the sense that they were fighting other races. They just didn't like racetracks, I guess. They were fighting at the races. Yeah, that, that Picky doesn't drink or smoke or do anything is an interesting thing for this character because in any other movie, this guy'd probably be a bad alcoholic. He'd probably be smoking Brighton Rock. Well, it goes into that idea. Yeah, it goes into that idea of like him being a Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like you could be a Catholic. It doesn't mean you're a good person. I was going to say, but also lots of Catholic priests like to drink a lot. Yeah. A lot. I mean, I know I did. Like a lot. I'm a cat hammered all the time. I'm a Catholic priest, Jason. Well, um, I, I, you may I have decreed it. It is so. You may want to talk to Mariah about that. Uh, moving on, especially because of her huge penis. Um, <laughs> hey, you said it now. <laughs> uh, Pinky seems really angry. He's just an angry guy. That's what I wrote. Okay. <laughs> Oh, no, what about the scene where uh, Hermione Baddeley is, like, doing, like, a psychic reading? Yeah, yeah, that was a weird thing where, yeah, yeah, she's doing, like, a like a, like a a parlor trick where she's plunging her pen into the paper and taking the random letters and then using that to, like, come up with something that is relevant. And, yeah, she does, over the course of the movie, figure out what all these random letters mean. But I, I, but I think, also, she just figures it out otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I think that, I think that, I thought that was a weird scene. I was like, wait, is that what we're doing? Uh, when Fred's running down the street, that's a great shot. But I love the scenery of Brighton at this time. Like, I really like seeing all the billboards and everything. Like, I saw an advertisement for Bovril. Do you know Bovril, Brendan? No, tell Bo me. Bovril is like a beef, uh, a beef jelly almost that you would then stir into hot water to make a drink, uh, and you would drink it in the mornings to go to school with the goodness of beef in your belly. I always enjoy the goodness of beef in my belly, Jason. I know you do, Brendan, and you can still buy it today. You might even be able to actually get it at Walmart here because they have a little like four-foot uh, British food section. They're not a sponsor. No, but they do have British stuff, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I forgive everything else they've done. Uh, uh, I thought Fred was just desperate for companionship at first, but uh, it's more just to keep himself alive. Mm -hmm. Oh, at one point, he, uh, there's a game there that... Uh, 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 Pinky is playing. It's like a carnival game. And among the prizes you can get at the carnival game are cigarettes. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. That's not still a thing? No, apparently not. You can't just hand out cigarettes to kids at the carnival. Oh. Pinky slashes a dude's face for not paying him. 
So we get another slashing. I forgot about that one. Right, right. That was the first one, actually. That was yeah. the first time I was like, whoa. Because yeah. he slashes him. It's kind of off screen, but then it cuts to him. You see the slash and he's mm-hmm. holding back and you see a lot of blood. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's almost uh, uh, fucking uh, Yojimbo. Over 300 there. over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's in the show that explains the outfit. I, I was very happy when I realized that. Ida. Yeah, yeah, when Ida was in the review. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Black Boy is a, is a good name for a horse, but it's slightly offensive. Not as bad as another name not for as, an animal. That cer- we've certainly about. not as bad as a dog in the uh, in the Dambusters, but uh, you know, I, I guess you could call a horse that because horses are black and brown. But you shouldn't call gray. a dog that, no. despite a dog being black. No, no, no. Maybe we avoid that. I, I, black boy came in ten to one. That's good odds. I, I will say there's a there's a cool trope that I probably wasn't a trope in 1947, but it's that trope of like a gangster movie where you have the cop character that's like, listen, I'm gonna have this event, yeah. and I know you're, I I know who all the criminals are, but I don't want you fucking with each other and ruining yeah. it for everyone else. That 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 trope of like the police and the criminals having close contact, an understanding, because, an understanding, but also like just communication with each other to some extent because they they do encounter each other on a regular basis. And then he's not just bragging him in there to arrest him. Like he's... That feels very familiar nowadays. Like there are so many movies where, you know, you have at least one cop and one criminal that are just like on some sort of speaking terms, like, you know. Uh I just wanted to point out that uh Pruitt uh uh has oh, a has a snuff box. The lawyer. Yeah, the lawyer has a snuff box. I didn't notice that. Takes yeah. a little little huff off that. Yep. There's a cool, um, there's a cool flashback thing. We didn't really talk about a lot about the scene where uh, Ida goes in to talk to Rose at the restaurant because mm. she tries to get answers out of her. Yeah, and that's when she's, and that's the first time she tries to save Rose. I mean, essentially for the movie because she realizes Rose has been led astray by Pinky and thinks yes. that he loves her, and. Um, Rose is not a very good liar and she says something like you know oh he came in yes it was him it was for sure uh, the journalist and he ordered a a bottle of beer and then he left and Ida remembers there's a little flashback audio thing where he says like I don't trust bottled beer yeah he's like it doesn't sit well with me so she knows he doesn't drink bottled beer so she knows that's a lie yeah exactly uh, Pinky doesn't like being laughed at because at one point there's a bunch of them laughing about Pinky and he comes into the scene and it just makes him angry Mm -hmm. he has no sense of humor whatsoever no. I've never seen him laugh. I've never seen him like crack a joke. He has very little. Uh... And his only smile is a sinister smile. Exactly. When something is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When something bad is going to happen his mm-hmm. way. They keep saying wife can't give evidence. Again, I'm not sure if that's a law. I think there is some law, some precedence to that. Uh, Pinky calls her a slut on the gramophone. Very out there. Is Pruitt at the beginning of the scene before Pruitt gets interrogated by Ida, by Hermione Baddeley. Is he stealing coffee from someone's estate? Because the the box he's taking grounds from says the estate of some something something, and he's just scooping up coffee and or tea and putting it in his cup. And I'm like, is he stealing that from a dead person? That's awesome. That's great. I That's hope a so. Great little detail. I hope so. That scummy lawyer thing. Uh, I think at one point, I think it's it's Pinky. He slam so he hears a baby crying in the distance, and he gets really mad, and he slams the window closed, and then you can't hear that baby anymore. So props to that window for being so soundproof. And and you thought of me. I thought of you, absolutely. There's uh, a baby next door, guys. It's the worst. Well, it's a baby. God. No, the baby, the baby, the, the, the baby should be killed. Uh, yeah, the whole suicide pack thing. Uh, uh, I'll show you. He loved me. That's what I wrote down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the poor, that poor woman, that poor woman, poor Rose. God, I have so much sympathy for her more than just about any other character I've seen. I feel like she was hard done by. That we've talked about so far, yeah. yeah. 
All right, well, um, is that, those are your bits and bobs? Those are the bits and bobs. Well, I want to talk about when this movie came out because you kind of you kind of alluded to this earlier, but it caused a bit of an uproar in Britain yeah. uh, due to its depiction of violence. Um, they, they said the razor slashing scenes were horrific and saying this film must not be shown. Like They were very adamant about it. It was banned in New South Wales. Wow. Um, New South Wales doesn't ban anything <laughs> except video games that are too violent. But it was very popular with British audiences. Uh, it well, was, they're all bloodthirsty fucking motherfuckers, ultimately. <laughs> it was a, quote, notable box office attraction. Um, I have a number here, but I don't know how accurate it is. It says 190,147 pounds is what it made at the box office. I'm sure it was more than that. but Certainly in the, in the 80 years or so since uh, it was made. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it was less popular in the U S but it's violence weirdly was not considered excessive in the U S. Well, doesn't that just speak to America? Violence is fine, but if you show titties or Bush or a dick, it's a problem. Titties, Bush, Dick rated R. That's my new punk band. Titties, Bush and Dick. Nice. We love Teddy Bush and Dick. This is our song, Teddy Bush and Dick. So it's just, oh, it's like, so it's just like two dumb Fox News guys. Yeah. Uh, George W. Bush. And uh, Richard Attenborough, the ghost, the ghost of him, <laughs> and uh, Dolly Parton. Sure, because just titties. because titties. Oh, oh, okay. I thought the boobs were just going to be a couple of boobs from Fox. <laughs> well, Dolly has to keep them online. Zing, zang, zing. Man, I wonder how many podcasts make a Dolly Parton boob joke these days. Probably not many. Us, just us, baby. We're old school. Suck it, other podcasts. You guys, you guys like Hello Fada, Hello Mutta? Here I am at Camp Granada. That's a great song. Check it out. Um, this movie came out at a time that was like, I think just before the BAFTAs started. Yeah. So the, nothing at the BAFTAs. Nothing at the Oscars. But um, rationing was still going on. This was a rough time. It was a rough time, guys. It was a rough time. But that being said, Brighton Rock. Jason, final thoughts. Really cool movie, really enjoyable. Uh, Richard Attenborough is fantastic in this movie. Carol Marsh is fantastic as Rose. Hermione Baddeley is fantastic as Ida. I mean, it's it's a really cool kind of morality play gangster picture hybrid. Like, it's not your typical, it's not like Goodfellas, but it is that. And and despite my dislike of how that character turns out, it's a fantastic movie and you would do yourself disservice to miss it. And it's 92 minutes and it's a tight yeah. 92 minutes. Like it, there's no waste of time. No. It gets from point A to point B to point C. Like it, this thing moves. This is no damn busters friends. No, no. Oh, night and day. <laughs> this, this is more in the line. This thing moves. If I could compare it to another older movie that with this kind of pace, it's like 39 steps. Yeah. Like it just, it just keeps going. Yeah. And it's very much like, you know, it's one thing, you know, you're, you're seeing if they can catch this guy and he's trying to cover his tracks. So it all takes place over the course of like maybe a day or two. Yeah, it's a very focused story. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I was, I wasn't sure what to expect and, and kind of reminded me of when we walked into the servant, not knowing. Yes, we exactly. Get. Absolutely. This for is sure. a great fucking movie. Yeah. I knew there was something up when I saw that it was number 15. I yeah. knew there had to be something that was pulling this thing along. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and it's wonderful. I love it. I think I think this is like a perfect movie. I know I might like it a little a little bit more than Jason. You said it was fantastic. So I say it's great. Like it. it is great. I don't know if it's a perfect movie because in my mind the perfect movie is Predator, but it's uh, it's pretty good. The Predator, though, the new one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just because you're a big Keegan Michael Key fan, love and Thomas guy. Jane. He's wonderful. <laughs> but this movie, I love this movie so much. It's perfect. I love it. Hashtag Every bring s- Thomas Jane back as the Punisher. Hashtag <laughs> uh, Richard Attenborough make a sequel. Um, wait. 
the long hashtag. Oh, right, tell you what, David Attenborough, since you're still alive, of the three Attenborough brothers, you're the only one alive. You make the sequel. Or, you know, Richard Dreyfus. Let's do it. Yeah, he's old enough. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to see Richard Dreyfus as old pinky. Yeah. <laughs> The scariest man ever. I, well, given that Richard Attenborough has such a like a like a career playing like likable characters, it wouldn't be crazy. How often does Richard Dreyfuss actually play a bad guy? Don't know if he ever has, but I'm sure he has. Surely he must have at one point. Yeah. So that's Brighton Rock, number yeah. 15 on the list. But now, Jason, we need to find out what we are going to talk about on next week's episode. We are going to draw the next movie out of an envelope. That is on the BFI Top 100, and as we get closer and closer, I I yearn, I pine for Carry On Up the Kyber. We have Carry On Up the Kyber that we're certainly looking forward to, to see what that is, but we also have some very uh, three-hour movies ahead of us. Very three-hour. Very (laughs) three-hour. So, who knows what's going to happen? I have this envelope. It is a white envelope and is written in black marker, BFI Top 100, so you know it's official. Very professional. Very professional, and I'm going to hand this over to Brendan. I'm going to hold the envelope so he can't hold it because I don't trust him. And then he's going to draw out the movie, and then he will hand it to me. You can hear it now, rustling through, as he fishes out a movie that we will watch. And, and I then, want you to tell me the number first. Number first? Yeah. Alright. What do we got? So number first is <laughs> number 79. Oh, damn it. And that movie is Far From the Maddening Crowd. Okay, well, let's do it. Alright. Is is this the three hour <laughs> this one? This is the Julie Christie uh, oh don't put it back in. <laughs> no. Jason. <laughs> that is why we switched from the dice. <laughs> This is uh, this is near three hours. This is a Julie Christie and a whirlwind romance. I'm kind of glad we're getting it to getting to it though because yeah. um, there's a director who is going to pop up three times. <laughs> and he, these, this guy, this one of the guy. Wow, he directed Darling. Yeah, um, he directed this, and he directed two more movies yet to come. Wow, he's like uh, getting approaching David Lean for movies on the list. John Schlesinger. He wow. also directed uh, uh, Midnight Cowboy. That's crazy that we haven't. We've only seen one movie of his so far. Right? And we did David Lean's already. Yeah, all of them. (laughs) All right. Well, fuck. All right, let's do it. We're going to do Far From the Maddening Crowd, or Far From the Madding Crowd, sorry. Next week on this show. Could be be a four-hour episode. Might have to watch that one on Saturday night, or at least have a two-hour movie extravaganza. Could be 45 minutes. Two-night movie extravaganza. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I might have to do that, too. Maybe I'll watch it at two and a half times speed. Could surprise us. It could surprise us. I'm, I don't have high hopes, though. We'll see. We'll see. We'll talk about the next week. But, Jason, until then, uh, they can find us on social media. They can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. They can find us on Facebook. Just search for for Screen. And Gundre. And we're on all the podcast apps. Our home base is Age of Radio, of course, ageofradio.org slash for Screen and Country. You can find Jason at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D over on Twitter. Just hanging out, just chilling, just reading shit. So let me know you're there. Say hi. Say hey. Say ho ho, baby. And be sure to um, to go over and tell Jason that he's the C-103 $10,000 fugitive. That's right. Uh, he will deny it. Yeah. But well, pay no, I'm not going to give you any money. No. no. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. okay. No, no. I have oh. no money. I have no money to give you. Oh, that's kind of rude. Now, if, if you out there want to donate money, I will then not give that money to somebody else. Yeah, give the, donate to the C-103 $10,000 Fugitive <laughs> Kickstarter. Right. Uh, it's a worthy cause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah. 
So that's pretty much it. So yeah. we'll talk about Far From the Madden Crowd. Well, at least we're getting the, the first three-hour movie under our belt um, and not getting them all in a row. Although, yeah. we don't well, know we what don't happened. Know. We, we don't know. We Colonel might. Blimp may very well be the week after. Colonel we'll Blimp see. and then fucking Oliver. We're all yep. in a row. <laughs> uh, but until next week, I guess all I have to say to you is uh, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, well, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Bye. Bye. We're going to go near a mad, madding crowd right now. On Brighton Rock. On Brighton Rock. And we're going to eat some candy and smoke some Brighton Rock. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the track came a hobo hiking. And he said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm headed for a land that's far away beside the crystal fountain. So come with me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, there's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes and you sleep out every night. Where the boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day. On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, all the cops have wooden legs, and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth, and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs. The farmer's trees are full of fruit, and the barns are full of hay. Oh, I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the rain don't fall, the wind don't blow, in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, you never change your socks, and the little streams of alcohol come a-trickling down the rocks. The brakemen have to tip their hats and the railroad bulls are blind. There's a lake of stew and a whiskey too. You can paddle all around them in a big canoe in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin. And you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. I'm a-going to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the Turk that invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. I'll see you all this coming fall in the Big Rock Candy Mountains.